morning, beloved. Now, did you know, and this has already proved itself to be uh, helpful information this morning, I will just simply add, but did you know that this church has a lost and found? Do you know that? Do you know that? I had somebody, I, I told them this at the 930 service, and I had somebody follow me over and said, I lost my, my Ford Nissan cup, can I get it? You know, one of those big Yeti kind of cups. And sure enough, it was right there in Lost and Found, right where I knew it would be. For those of you who don't know, it's right outside these doors, by the, by the mailboxes. There's this case that you can open. It's a clear case that we put stuff in, the inexpensive things, that is. Lots and lots and lots of glasses. So if you can't see, go in there. You know, you might find something that works for you. If you lost your glasses, sunglasses, Mickey glass, there, it's all over there. And, but, but we also have other things, you know, more expensive things like phones, watches, purses. And those are in secret places. You can ask Darlene where that is. And then we get sweaters. I've seen coats, jackets. I've seen things I didn't know what article of clothing it was. <laughs> but I see a lot of Bibles, too. A lot of Bibles. Some are nice Bibles. Some are just paperback Bibles. Um, but some of the Bibles, it, it really breaks my heart because they've been written in. They're underlined, and they've got some some writing in them. You can tell the people have read them and have made notes in them. There, there are even little pieces of mementos from family that have been stuck in there uh, from other churches that they have gone to. And, and then I go to return the Bible and I go and look for the name and there's no name in it. And it breaks my heart. So if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead, write your name in it right now. There's a pen in front of you. Go ahead. Because they're right over here. And if you've lost your Bible, go look. The lost and found. Every church has a lost and found. And did you know what else? Not only does the church have a lost and found, God, the Lord, has a lost and found. And it's called the church. The church is the place where the Lord of hosts has purposefully created to welcome and receive those of us who know full well enough that the world is pretty swirly out there and we can't do it on our own. We feel lost and aimless without direction in the world and we can come to a place like a sanctuary and we can find our strength, we can find our moorings. The church is the place all the lost ones can come to and know that we don't have to pretend to be God. This is the one place where we are lost and then found by God and we don't have to play God. The Lord of hosts is found in this lost and found called the church. And in it are people like you and me and others who are trying to find and muddle their way through. In our story this morning from Luke chapter 15, go ahead and turn in your Bible there. Luke chapter 13, we have three stories 
about things that are lost and then are found. A sheep, a coin, and a son. Now these are stories that if you've been around church before, you've heard before. And, and, and the challenge is, is that we become too familiar with these stories because this chapter in Luke 15 is really quite scandalous. It really is a meddlesome chapter. What we see as stories about a sheep, a coin, and a son are actually about a shepherd, a woman, and an extravagant father. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the first two, the shepherd and the woman. And then next week, we're going to come back and look at that famous story of the prodigal son, or as I like to call it, the story of the extravagant father. Listen to the story in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. And they were saying, this fellow eats with sinners. And so Jesus told them a parable, told them a story. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoices, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he told another story. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. Just so, I tell you. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each of these stories follow the same pattern. Something is lost. Someone diligently and carefully searches for it and finds it. There's a celebration among friends and neighbors. Interestingly, no families are mentioned in these stories. It's just friends and neighbors that come together. And finally, we see a celebration in heaven. That even God and the angels throw a party. Because that which is lost, a soul that was lost, has come back home to God. My friends, what I want us to do this morning is to look at these three Let's look at three scandalous revelations in our text that we perhaps have never noticed before. Now the first scandalous revelation we know comes from verses 1 and 2. We read how Jesus, an itinerant rabbi, is choosing to have table fellowship with who? Those people. Who are those people to you? Look around. Are any of you 
Those kind of people? Do you know those kind of people I'm talking about? You know those sinners? Hmm. Yeah, those people. Like you and me. Jesus, the itinerant rabbi, is, is, is choosing to intersect his life and rub shoulders with those people. The tax, the tax collectors, those other sinners. Jesus' faith, his religious actions, his spiritual walk were intentionally set to intersect the lives and rub shoulders with those people. The ones we read about and hear in the news about. The people that work in those kind of places, that live in those kind of places, those sinners like the prostitutes, tax collectors, unjust politicians, shady bank managers, abusive or cheating spouses, the hustlers and shady salesmen, all of these folks were eagerly trying to listen, to hear what Jesus had to say. Those people. Like you and me. You see, ironically, the religious and the pious people, the ones who were the, quote, spiritual giants of their community, of their synagogues, they were the ones who were practicing good, upstanding citizenship. They were the ones who showed what it meant to be a good, upstanding Jewish person. These are the ones who were also busy grumbling and griping about Jesus. And they were griping and grumbling so much they couldn't even hear what Jesus had to say. What he had to say. They were stuck in their religious and spiritual hubris, and that pride prevented them to experience any good news that those people were experiencing. The first scandalous act in our text is that those who are supposed to get it who are supposed to understand the law, who understand the faith, they don't. And the ones that no one in their right mind would ever consider getting it, they do. Those people, those people, get it. Now, furthermore, we see part of the scandal is that just as you and I start talking about, now, who are those people in your life? Think about it. Who are those people, those sinners in your life? Who are those people you think of? Well, see, the problem is, the other scandal is, is as soon as we start classifying those people, <laughs> we become one of them. There's a catch-22. As soon as we put ourselves above and beyond and beyond and be over someone else out of religious or spiritual hubris, political hubris, civil hubris, we become one of them. Those people. Ironic, isn't it? The second scandalous piece of our story is found in verses 3 to 7. We often think, hear this story and think of how a dedicated and loving shepherd goes and leaves the 99 in search of the lost little lamb. 
Isn't that special? Leaves the 99 and goes looks for the lamb. Well, you know, maybe on one level it is. But on the other level, this really is not so much about the baby lamb as it is about the radical nature of God's love for the lost. Just maybe we could read this text in a different way. Instead of the shepherd leaving the 99 to go look for the lost lamb, we, could, we can also read this text in a very, uh, with integrity, to say, what person with 99 good, decent, healthy sheep would leave 99 of them alone, open to the bears, the cougars, predators, bandits, and go look for the one lost lamb? Who would do that in their right mind? What business person would do that? Who would forsake their entire livelihood for the sake of the one? Now people know in business, people in business know that there will always be a certain amount of waste or spillage in their business. For example, a grocer maybe orders uh, 20 bushels of lettuce, knowing full well that three or four bushels will probably spoil, get stolen, or will just uh, have to be thrown out. They can just guarantee that. They've learned to practice that. They've learned to understand that they have to build in the cost for the spillage and the wastage in with the other bushels they sell. They just come to know it. Well, let's think about your chef at your favorite restaurant. Think of your chef at your favorite restaurant. It is the Thursday night special at Peter Pan Diner. They know that they're going to make so many chicken blue plate specials. And they know that there will be some left over more than likely. The plates will be dropped. Food will be spilled. Some just won't get eaten. So what's tonight's blue plate special with chicken will be tomorrow's soup for lunch. They plan on that. I mean, it's just like Wendy's. What do you think that chili is made of at Wendy's? Yeah, Dave Thomas was there one day cooking in the kitchen, and he says, oh, man, I've got more hamburgers than I know what to do with today. I overcooked. I think I'm going to start selling chili. Next day, you have yesterday's hamburgers in chili. Amazing how that works. We plan on spillage. We plan on losing something. And here in this story, the scandal is the shepherd leaves 99% of his working capital to go find a single sheep. Imagine leaving 99% of your working capital as a business person to go and find that one lost 1%. And for those of you who are accountants, that's what you do. But most of us, we realize we're going to plan for slippage. It would be like this. Imagine you were a semi-truck driver for Best Buy. And you were driving your truck through the Bronx 
And all of a sudden you pull over and you start undoing the doors off the back of your truck and opening up and there's all those beautiful goods of Apple computers, the new iPhones, iPads, new TVs, washers, dryers. And then all of a sudden you remember, oh, I forgot to get that person four blocks away to sign off on the, on the singular iPad I left at their store. He looks at his truck, he looks down the street four blocks, he says, oh, I'm just going to leave it open, it'll be fine. No one's going to touch my stuff. And he goes and signs for the one. What's going to happen to that truck in the Bronx? It's going to be stripped. Who would leave 99% of their operating capital totally exposed to theft or death? The scandalous good news of the gospel, beloved, is that Jesus is telling us that God is willing to risk it all for the sake of the one. That's good news. That's the scandalous good news we miss in this story. God is willing to risk it all for the one. The one is so important to God that God appears to act irresponsibly in the pursuit of that lost one. It's not so much about finding a lost sheep, this story, as it is about the scandalous, radical nature of God's reckless, risking love. Now, verse 8 through 10 reveal the third revelation, scandalous revelation in our text. And it's so subtle, you probably missed it. It is such a subtle revelation, a, such a subtle, scandalous aha that we miss it with our 21st century lenses and ears. You see, we overlay our 21st century mindsets on top of the story of a woman looking for a lost coin. And we miss it. We miss the point. We miss what the people in the first century would have picked up on immediately. And we wonder why the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, if Jesus hadn't hacked them off by now, he does with this. Look at the previous parable of the Good Shepherd. Who are we to understand the shepherd to be in the story? Anybody? God. The shepherd is God. Now look at this woman tearing up her house to find a lost coin. Now who is the woman in the story? Who are we to understand the woman to be in our story? God. Think about a first century person's ears. Jesus has just painted this picture of God being like an anxious woman ripping the house apart to find a lost coin. That's scandalous. Women didn't have rights. Women were treated as property in the first century. They had no say. They were used, treated poorly. And what is Jesus doing? He's saying, let me tell you what. 
kingdom of God is like this, you know, God is like this woman ripping up a house looking for a coin. How does that sound? And you can hear those Pharisees grumbling. You could hear the cigarette foot stompers in the parking lot beginning to get upset with what Jesus was talking about. You see, Jesus is trying to expand, is to force the people to expand their narrow view and notion of who God is. Jesus isn't trying to just shock people. He's trying to get them to think big. We tend to put God in a little box. We tend to think God fits our mindset, our ways. That God is a white Anglo-Saxon Christian from the United States and loves America. And Jesus is saying, no. God is bigger. God is so much bigger than what we make God to be. God is so much more embracing is so much more intentionally loving than the God you think God is. Wow. Jesus is stirring it up. Blowing up our view of who God is, what God's about. This morning, all of us here had the opportunity to participate in a beautiful little girl's baptism. A little baby girl, Charlotte Joe, who could do nothing more than to be handed over to a stranger with a beard and glasses and have her head covered with water. Charlotte had no choice in the matter. He was being passed from one adult to the other. She was, had no choice at being adopted into the family of God. She was just loved and adopted by you. That's scandalous, isn't it? Doesn't mean she won't have to stand up and make a faith statement. But it does say that she was adopted into the family. And you know what? God's initiative is all that it was about. You see, the good shepherd came searching for Charlotte. The woman searching for the coin was looking for Charlotte. You see, both that lost sheep and the coin, they, they were not aware of being lost any more than little Charlotte is. But the shepherd knew and knows. The woman knows. And so it is that God claims this little baby in heaven's lost and found called the church. And you and I get to take care of it. Imagine that. Isn't it wonderful that we worship a God who breaks all our earthly rules, who breaks all the structures, and comes to those kind of people. Like you and me. God is the pursuer in this love relationship. That's the news that Jesus is trying to get us to hear.
And all of God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Spirit of the living Christ, descend upon us now. For those of us whose hearts are hard, may they become soft. For those who think we need to know all the answers, O oh Lord, give us just a glimpse and let that be enough to give us and make us hungry for you. O oh Lord, you pursue us with a passion and intensity. Lord, bring us home to the lost and found. Let us find your presence here in the church. Amen.